can we step back and say, with the technologies that we know of and potentially ones that we don't know of yet, how can we better be serving our customers and all those customers, the same customers that we had before? And if not, why not? And do we need to be changed? Really thinking about where we are now, because it's not where we were before, and really designing things thoughtfully going forward. That's going to help this all be easier. And it's not going to be easy. It'll be, it'll be easier because we're going through a period of enormous change. Hello, my dear listener, and a very warm welcome to season seven of the show and episode 110 of the Ben Morton Leadership Podcast. It's the weekly show that brings you inspiring interviews with senior leaders and genuine subject matter experts, all designed to help you be the very best leader that you can possibly be. It's my gift to you and it's totally free. We are kicking off season seven with a subject matter expert episode and I'm delighted to introduce you to Sophie Wade. Sophie is a work futurist, an international speaker, author and authority on future work issues. In her previous career, she held senior management, strategy and finance roles around the world in Asia, Europe and the US, working in media, technology and venture capital companies such as IMG and Yahoo. With a strategy and finance focus for her first career, she assisted entrepreneurs and major corporations develop, identify and execute strategic initiatives, build teams and ventures and create partnerships. Sophie also has a new book out, Empathy Works, the key to competitive advantage in the new era of work, which, as you'd expect, forms the basis of our conversation in this episode. Although, and as always, we went off on some fascinating leadership-related tangents that I know you're absolutely going to love listening to. If you happen to be listening to this episode within two weeks of its release date, then Sophie has kindly given us an advanced reader copy of her book that you can win by clicking on the book competition link that we've popped in the show notes for you. It's a cracking book, folks, so do make sure you go and do that right now before you carry on listening to the episode. And finally, before we get into this episode, do head over to the online courses page of my website at ben-morton.com where you can sign up for my extremely popular 10 for 10 leadership course. That also is totally free. It's bite-sized and it covers some of the most common leadership, leadership sorry, topics and challenges that I get asked about. It gets consistently great feedback and I know you'll get a lot of value from it. But now, and without any further delay, let's get stuck into this week's episode, which I know you're going to get huge, huge value from. Sophie, a very warm welcome to the podcast. Based on our previous conversations, I've really been looking forward to today's episode. But first of all, how are you? Great to see you, Ben. Um, I'm delighted to be here. Um, I'm recovering from some unidentified flu virus, so I will be coughing a little bit. I apologize, but I'm so much better than I was, which is a good thing. Brilliant. Good to hear you're on the mend. So I would love to dive right in and get straight to the to the heart of this this conversation. So you've got a new-ish book out, is that right? Kind of what's the what's the actual date when it came out? 
So it came out in the US May 3rd, came out in the UK May 24th. Cool. So it's still, I mean, exhaustion wise, I'm now, I have now recovered. So it feels a long time in the past, but it is still hot and shiny of the press. Brilliant. So actually, save, save me setting it up. Do you want to just give us the quick two minute overview, the blurb of the book, sort of what is it? What's the premise of it? Why did you set out to write it? Thanks. So it's about the future of work and the balance really of technology and talent, technology which is powered, driven, the changes that represent the future of work and, and how our business businesses are, are more digitalized and how that's been changing work. And what that means in terms of the balance between talent and technology, now that we have all these amazing sophisticated tools, the emphasis then becomes on who is actually using those tools and how we can deploy them to be effective in reaching our customers and actually then supporting and engaging our employees. So it becomes this sort of human-centric system, which is I look at the customer journey and the employee journey, and really it's focused very much on the employee journey and how we can be better leading and engaging with each other and having, you know, we have much more teamwork, much more project work. So it's about human understanding. So it is called Empathy Works, which really means it's about us understanding each other better. And in this new, much faster paced, much more unpredictable environment, we really need to be working together much more closely. Yeah. So I did warn you this would happen. Here we go, going uh, off on a tangent straight away. You mentioned there, Sophie, about sort of technology and new tools, and you said something along the lines of who's who's using them. Now, I'm interested to know if this is what you meant, but my interpretation of that, or straight away at least where my thinking went, was is it us that's using the tools and technology, or are the tools and technology starting to, to use us and dictate and drive sort of our behavior? Almost are we being a slave to the tools or some of the tools and technologies running our life. Is is that what you meant or, or have I just interpreted it in a different way? <laughs> I believe for the first time we're really taking ourselves out of the being slave to the tools or being slave to the machines. You know, we built these machines we needed. There was great fear, particularly in the U.S., of not having enough food for the exploding population back in the the, the 50s and, and, and earlier. Yeah. So creating these huge production lines and built the factories, and then we had to work in the factories. And so we were sort of slave to the machines. Now that's finally changing. We've actually spent all this time and effort and energy creating these very sophisticated, small mobile tools, which are much more intuitive, much more how we want to be using these tools. I mean, it's it's all about the user interface and how can we use them intuitively. So now we have these powerful, sophisticated tools which are geared towards human beings. So now we can actually use them to to be as effective as we can and live our our working lives in ways that make much more sense rather than having to you know we didn't kind of go oh let's go and you know work in offices with everybody else at exactly these specific times because that's the best way to do it no it was much more based on the limitations of what we have that was how we sort of set ourselves up to work now we can actually design things differently and do you think there's a difference following the same same thread? Because it's something I'm really 
curious about do you think there's a difference between more let's say manual workers or blue collar workers and knowledge workers white collar workers in terms of who's in charge so again listening to you talk there some of the machines technology systems we've got have made massive changes probably positive i i think on the whole to sort of the more physical sector like the production mm-hmm. sector farming manufacturing etc do you think kind of it's still the same in in the knowledge economy or do you think some of us some sectors uh our lives are being dictated to by by the tools i just think people still talk about zoom fatigue and kind of teams fatigue where they're constantly on uh, video calls and constantly feeling they've got an anxiety because the volume of chat messages come coming in and they feel they've got no control over over their day like what's your what's your view on that okay so i'm going to try and keep the thread of this but that that last piece is a lot to do with meetings and us designing our work and design and i have a huge pet peeve about meetings and <laughs> the fact we don't design our days properly and we have too many meetings and we can do that very very different when we actually are much more thoughtful about it yeah but going back to the on-site or fixed location worker versus the knowledge worker. Workplace flexibility, which I I typically talk about versus just remote working or in hybrid models, because workplace flexibility really is flexibility for any type of non-nine-to-five, five-days-in-the-office work. Everybody, every single human being is going to work better when we, you know, when we have more control over our work, over how we sort of optimize for ourselves individually, because we all work slightly differently. If we're on a production line, we're all going to work in slightly different ways and be optimized and be able to optimize ourselves and our output and and enjoy our day better when we can. About 90% of all the investment for shop floor development, R&D, has been focused on quality and speed improvement. Yeah. It has not been about process improvement. And more money needs to be spent because we can give a lot more when we optimize for process and really be talking to the frontline worker, there's a lot that can be done and that's starting to be done now in terms of cyber human systems that are really sophisticated software where you can be optimizing for the employee on the front line, giving them tools so that they can sort of manipulate, they can see inside the, you know, whatever it is that they're, they're producing and, and be designing it slightly differently. These are the type of augmentations that we can be making now, which are going to make the outputs that much better, focusing on a different aspect of that particular work. And making it more interesting and more enjoyable when people have flexibility. So there's definitely flexibility that's that's able to be given to people who have fixed location jobs, and that's very important in the grand scheme of things. So when we then go to the, to to all the way to, to knowledge workers, I I do think that particularly for those people who sort of grew up or or entered the workforce where when work was very defined, there was uh, you know particular. You know, it was it was a set place. It was it was a, a location. Now it's an activity. Yeah, love that. But if people who have not started having a sense of what what those boundaries are, it's much harder to create boundaries. So for younger folks, it's much harder for them to stop working or, or kind of sort of say, okay, I'm done with my day. I'm not going to answer that email because it's it's much more of a blurred line because I've never had a very hard definitive line. So. 
I think it's beneficial to be much clearer about healthy habits, whatever that means for different people, but creating boundaries. So there is a boundary and, you know, you get blocks of time, whatever, you know, physical, making sure people do take lunch and stop working and go out for a walk or whatever it might be. But those are the things that are going to help us not be burned out as well as not having endless meetings just because it's kind of, oh yeah, we, Ben, you know, we, we've got to talk about that. Like, no, we don't necessarily have to talk about that. Yeah. I could send you an update. We could have an asynchronous chat about it. Like we need to work out who needs to be involved. Do they really need to be involved? There are more and more companies now that are recording, video recording all of their meetings so that only people who really need to be there all the time have to be there and then other people and then it's you know really reduced to this very specific thing that we need to discuss that's you know really needs some de- active debate live and then so many other things can be addressed through asynchronous and other types of communication and that's that's what we need to be thoughtful about now we can actually have like i said we have these sophisticated tools we have these different ways of communicating let's focus on and understand which one is optimal for each particular task that we need to do and who with? I wholeheartedly ag- agree with everything everything you've said there. And I'm sort of vigorously waving my, my phone here saying like, who would ever thought we'd refer to this as being o- old school, but actually sometimes just picking up the phone is quite unique and novel and serves the purpose, right? Instead of everything having to be a, a video call where everyone is dialed in together, like what's wrong with an old fashioned phone call? Like, hey, just checking in, where are you up to? Well, it's really odd for me because I don't call anybody, even my friends, without alerting them, like, is this going to be, you know, when should we talk? Because it feels intrusive for someone to just like, call me out of the room, like, whoa. (laughs) And so it's very interesting how our habits and expectations have changed. And so I, you know, this is a major period of change that we're going through and we all need to be all best work out how are we reacting, what kind of ha- new habits that we want to be forming, and then how we're going to be interacting with each other, recognizing then that, you know, you might call me, I'd be like, oh, you know, you, you need to also for me to to, to, to to know I might react like that, but I also need to kind of like, oh, okay, Ben's calling, like that's his thing, great, okay, I'll be ready for Ben when he calls me. So it's understanding each other, and that's where the sort of the human-centric element comes to it, like understanding that we all have differences and we're all going to excel in different ways, you know, utilizing different platforms and technologies and and media. And that's a nice lead in to slightly bringing us back to one of the things I wanted to chat to you about in in advance. So this shift we're, we're talking about here, and certainly I think the shift you're talking about where we're taking a different refocused approach to leadership because I don't want to say new based on our, our conversation a couple of weeks ago which we'll we'll let listeners in into on, a, on in a minute but to what degree do you think COVID-19 all of us being forced to go and work from home has shifted a, a need a desire to lead and work with our peers and colleagues from a from a place of deeper empathy do you, do you think we was heading in that direction anyway and COVID accelerated it or or not? Very much. It it was already there. I mean, I was giving talks on, it started off, the the temp was like leading from within, and then it was more about sort of empathetic leadership. And empathy was something that came up, not about being nice and kind. It was just about human understanding and putting yourself in other people's shoes and connecting with people's experiences. 
And, you know, there's been a, a, a long trend of, of trying to understand employees' experiences. And the way to really understand someone's experiences is to put yourself in their shoes and, like, try and, you know, actually understand what they're going through, what it is that they, how they see the world. And so that was where empathy came from. And that was definitely doing a lot of work on that prior to the pandemic. So the pandemic accelerated technology implementations. And of course, we had so many tragedies and 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 grief and and isolation and overwhelm and many, many issues that have caused and exacerbated mental health issues. So the collective raw vulnerability that we did or all feel together, yeah. which was a very rare and terrible in so many ways, but also special in terms of how we really understood each other more and, you know, had windows into each other's lives where, for, you know, for knowledge workers who were working from home. That particular aspect of it was very meaningful in the aspect of empathy and really being able to see co-workers as three-dimensional humans for the first time, rather than in a very English way, kind of like, you know, stiff upper lip, don't, you don't, don't shoot too, too much emotion, you know. Yeah. And, and, and that was like easier to deal with people in that way that we you don't have to sort of deal with all my warts and warts and quirks and, and all the rest of it. And now, now we just do. Like if, you, if you're going to have to deal with all of me if we're really going to be able to work together closely as a team. You don't have to like me, but you do have to understand me. So I think that that's the big change and some of the ahas that people had about how much more important it is. And now because all the technology implementations we're doing that much, there's that much more teamwork, that much more project work that we're having to work closely together to come up with minimum viable product solutions and test them. And that type of, the type of work we're doing, the pace at which we need to do, needing to do it now means that the ability for us to collaborate more effectively under more stressful, higher paced conditions, you know, that, that really sort of raises the bar and, and the need for, for greater understanding. So that bit there is, is fascinating, actually. And, and that's something I come across a lot in, in my work and the clients I, I work with, where on the one hand, and I don't know if this is sector specific, because I tend to work across quite a few different sectors, but I see so many businesses where the pace of work is pretty much like nothing I've ever, ever seen before. Like the demands being put on people across all sectors to hit bigger numbers, to deliver more projects. Maybe it's some organizations are still trying to maybe catch up from a backlog or a lull in sales or limited production capacity during COVID. So still coming out of that, they're sort of, we've got to make hay while the sun shines. So let's keep pushing. So all of that is, is is going on this pace. And at the same time, people are, are tired and therefore being able to truly empathize and kind of look after people is, is, is quite different. Those two things almost seem to be competing in, in some, some ways. Like what's your view on that? And if so, any, any tips for either leaders to handle that or, or individual contributors to, to handle that? Because I really do see lots of people, they're almost like a, a stretched rubber band at, at the moment. Everybody wanted to emerge from the pandemic and sort of get back on track, whatever that meant. But there was a sort of back to it, which meant trying to go back to where we were, but that back is gone. There's no back to go back to. Yeah. And that's sort of part of the problem. And prior to the pandemic, there was a lot of strain and struggle to work effectively 
in these new ways, but with these rigid structures that we had been working for decades in these very entrenched ways. So there was already this enormous tension. The way forward, the most effective way forward is to be embracing the changes. They're not going to go backwards. It, this is about technology. Nobody's going to be uninstalling the applications and kind of going, yes, let's you know get rid, <laughs> rid of Zoom or whatever it might be. But sort of saying like, what are these tools? What can they do for me? What can they do for our business? How can we use them effectively? What does it mean for our customers? What kind of technology can we be implementing? Can we step back and say, with the technologies that we know of and potentially ones that we don't know of yet, how can we better be serving our customers and all those customers, the same customers that we had before? And if not, why not? And do we need to be changed? Like really thinking about where we are now, because it's not where we were before, and really designing things thoughtfully going forward. That's going to help this all be easier. And it's not going to be easy. It'll be, it can be easier because we're going through a period of enormous change. And at the same time, even if your company is doing that, you, your competitors are, are, are also in this flux. Your, everybody along the supply chain is also going through this. So working much more closely together with your partners and vendors up and down the, the supply chain are going to be important. One, to deal with disruption, to be pivoting, to have you know, shared values and, and, and vision are going to help because to understand and have transparency about where they're going and how that's going to change and what decisions they're making and why. Kind of like, okay, well, what does that mean for my business? Because do I need to then, you know, change somebody or be diversify so that my business is not, I'm not blindsided. So it's really embracing what's going on because any energy spent resisting it is just going to be wasted and it's going to make it harder. I mean, the good and the bad news is that everybody's in this mess together. So as challenging and as burned out as people may feel, everybody's dealing with that too. And so it's kind of like, well, how can we do this? How can we embrace it and use this energy, this frenetic evolving energy to help us. If we get on top of it, we can actually get ahead of people because there's a, a lot of ways that you can engage in employees. You can help them do their best work and you know, help them understand their, their, their preferences and where they want to work and, you know, what then and, and align them to their skills. And so they're like, Oh God, this is awesome. Like, I love you. What do you, and then they'll do, then they'll perform much better, which will be, you know, be much better for, you know, results for your business. So there are a lot of really exciting things that I see coming out of this. I mean, truly. And if with a reframing of, you know, reframing from resistance to, to acceptance and, and, and embracing it, I think that's going to be the easiest way to deal with this. Almost reminds me of sort of, um, I've never really been into martial arts, but like the the judo throw concept, whereas when someone comes at you, you take their energy and you, you, you twist it and you, you use it, right? It reminds me massively of that. Beautiful way to think about it for people who want to have that kind of visual. Yeah. yeah. So you probably get asked this this all of the time, um, but you mentioned there, um, you said you, you truly see some exciting opportunities that come out of this current cycle of, of change that we're in. What, what do you see? What, what are some of those things that you see over the horizon that maybe not, not everyone has spotted? Well, you know, going back to the Calvinist doctrines, the way to get to heaven was to suffer at work. We don't need to be thinking about it like that. And I think it's a, a lot better if we can think about it differently and enjoy our work. We have lots and lots of research now 
to show that if you pay people, they will just turn up, but they, you know, that's not going to get them to engage. It's not going to get them to go above and beyond and put in that discussionary effort, which we need now. And there is a powerful, you know, the cliched win-win that if I'm engaging you as my, one of my team members and I help you do your best work because I'm aligning you with doing something, finding the skills and strengths, and you're doing something you really enjoy doing, you're excited. You're excited to, to whether it's come to the office or, you know, get online, you're into what you're doing. And we're talking together and trying to work out like, you know, what are the skills you want to acquire next? And, and you, you, you know, you embrace this learning and what you can be doing next. That's powerful to do on an individual basis with every single employee. And so each person can be enjoying their life, enjoying their working life and, and how that is integrated altogether. That we've never done that. We've been workers been, you know, going back to factory workers yeah. working, you know, 16 hours, 18 hours, six or seven days a week. These are very powerful changes. And the 40 hour work week, I'd always thought it was kind of like you have to turn the, you know, the machines had to be turned on at nine or whatever. No, no, it was actually a Robert Owen in 1817, who was a Welsh utopian who came up with eight hours of work, eight hours of leisure and eight hours of sleep. And it was one of the most successful marketing, you know, phrases that went around taglines that went around the world, like wildfire. It, that was totally arbitrary. So, if we work differently, whether it's a four-hour, four-day work week at, at or four-hour work week at your organization, whatever works for your team, for your department and company, the, we have the the means in the moment to actually design things differently, and I think that's amazing. Yeah, very very cool. The other question I wanted to ask you, which you might get asked quite a lot as a, as a futurist, and I know this is a crystal ball question, almost mm-hmm. impossible question, but but hell, I'll, I'll, I'll ask anyway and see see where we go. You mentioned um, this huge period of, of, of change that we're in. Do you think it's a period of change? Do you think sort of where we are is the new normal in, in so much as there's always going to be a huge degree of change? Or if it's the the, the, the former, like wh- where do you think we are through this current period of change? Are we, are we nearly through it? Are we over the hump? Are, are the good times coming soon? Like what's what's your view on that? Look, Alvin Toffler, who is an amazing futurist, who saw all of this coming really in his book, The Third Wave, which he wrote in 1979, I think, or 1980, and Future Shock. But the, the Third Wave talked about this digitalization and how, and all the things it was going to change. And he talked about, you know, big cycles. So we're, you know, 50 years on. So I think we may be coming to the end of the this this particular arc i mean things have sped up enormously do i think i think more than anything we will get used to this pace of change and it will become more feel more stable to us we'll just kind of like we will have ways of dealing with we'll have much more flexible ways of of working be more adaptable kind of oh okay another pivot yeah whatever you know i've done i've done five of those that's no problem so i think once we have adapted to that and as human beings we are actually very adaptable we like habits um but we are very adaptable that will be easier so i don't know when what the next you know period because we as human beings we've created enormous you know, transformations over the past, you know, 400 years. I think this period is going to be, it's going to take some years. I think we'll 
get a lot easier if, if I've caused anybody to freak out at saying that. Because um, I always think it's going to take much less time. I always thought the future of work was going to arrive years ago. And of course, you know, it took a global pandemic to, to actually accelerate its arrival. And then people kind of like, is it here? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, it, this is going to take years for, to make these changes that we need to all sort of settle into whatever it is that we, you know, we come up with in design, which is going to keep evolving in some in some way. I, I think we, we will settle into, we will become more, comfortable with it and yeah. more, uh, you know, be much more habitual to us. But I don't think it's necessarily going to slow down for a while. Interesting. And um, talking of being comfortable with, with change and flexibility, trying to forget all of the questions that I was going to ask you, because I'm actually really enjoying very much being in, in the moment here. I'm really curious to ask, are there any, I guess, tools, tactics, approaches that you personally use or employ in your work as a work futurist that might be useful and helpful to leaders and I guess the backdrop to that question is one of the things I talk a lot about to leaders and in my work is as a leader being able to step back from the the day-to-day and do that horizon scanning what's coming up what's changing what's changing in the world what do we need to be ready for on a very practical level just what's coming up in a month's time that we need to need to work on but part of your job I assume is is about very being very very forward facing so like how do you how do you do your job and kind of what what tips or advice could you share that might be useful for a leader one of the biggest challenges that we're dealing with right now is the future of work is here but people aren't there yet so that's where the strain and tension is. It sounds, you know, weird to sort of say the future of work. Let's just say the new era of work where people yeah. haven't adapted to it. And so it's kind of like the future is here. So I can be futuristic about the now because it is the future which is here, but people aren't there. And so that's yeah. the first thing that needs to be addressed is really understanding where we are, what is inevitable and needs to be adapted to in, in terms of a mindset first, really understanding how this, this change and ongoing evolution is not going to stop. You, it's, we're, we're not going to get back to suddenly the nature of work has changed, the, the type of work, the, the linearity and static and independent working has gone for, 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 for a lot of it and, and how we're going to be set up and the focus on skills rather than jobs and having more of a core company with more people that you're using, you're benefiting from the sort of extended talent pool. A lot of these changes that are happening are long-term. And, you know, then when I project out, it it almost seems right now, it seems almost irrelevant because these trends have been there for a long time. And it, it, none of it's complicated in terms of viewing what these trends are, what's complicated is actually adapting to it. So I have huge empathy for for leaders trying to do their day jobs and do all this at the same time. Once it's embracing it, it will become easier because as I said, we've been straining about this for a long time. So I think adapting will, will help people with these trajectories of where we're going, which is really having the mindset, being open-minded mm-hmm. and having the mindset of, what next and not saying, okay, I'm done now, but always having and and getting just used to the, okay, great. And how might that change tomorrow? And how might that change next week? With that approach, 
the future becomes less scary and there's less resistance to it, which then it's that it's that sort of reframing that I think changes changes the game and changes how you look at the future because the, for your organization, who knows? And, and it will change based on the people that you have. And if you lose some people or new people come on or you need different skills because of different technologies, that's going to change how you set things up and, and you know, how you evolve your, your business and the, and the company. And so it's really being open-minded, I think, is, is the key thing. Just like being curious about the different technologies you can use and listening to, to everybody in the organization, particularly the younger. That's when I really would get the contributions of people, the youngest people in the organization, because they ha- tend to have the most intuitive understanding of technology and they can give some really interesting ideas that can be helpful. Yeah. So let, let, let me ask you that next as well, because I know it was something you was quite passionate about when we was set, setting this call up, which is around some of the similarities and differences between between gen- generations there's something you said now i call a couple of weeks ago that still really resonated with me it was along the lines of um like it's not as if the the youngest generation in the workplace have all been in a in a dark corner somewhere like plotting to make demands and and and, and disrupt us right can you just uh, can you elaborate on that because it really really it made me smile and it really really resonated with me but there was there's a hell of a lot of truth in what you said <laughs> So if you take the thought that I hear so much, which I I heard a lot when it's to do with millennials, only seven, six and seven years ago, oh my goodness, these darn millennials this and, you know, goodness, these millennials that. Well, the same with Gen Z. If one is blaming them for something or sort of saying they, they're doing this and they're trying to change that and they're entitled and they have these demands, there's some logical extrapolation to that is that they actually have sort of designed it en masse. They must have somehow (laughs) collectively decided to do this because otherwise how could they all be doing it in, you know, and across countries, obviously there are some different flavors, but it's not just in one country or one city or one region. Therefore that, that, so taking that again, is it means they must have, they must have like collectively plotted to do this. Like, no, that doesn't logically, clearly that doesn't make any sense. Therefore, what does that mean? And I think this is this is where the point, my point in making a sort of silly, that sort of silly comment is it's not so silly because it sort of says, well, if that's not the case, if we believe that they didn't all gather off site somewhere in the back of TikTok and do that, how have they all, you know, a huge percentage coming up with the same comments or having the same reactions? And that's where I sort of say, well, they are manifesting the future of work. They are reacting yeah. to, they don't, they don't know anything different and they haven't been in the workforce for 30 years and have entrenched ways of doing things. Therefore, when we look at what they're asking for or responding to or have concerns about, that can, they can be the most helpful indicators of where we're going and what the issues are they don't have lots of experience to be able to interpret it in the ways that we can. So the more that we can actually converse and really try and understand like what is their experience and why. Just back to empathy. Yeah. So then we can have understanding with baggage, but a lot more experience. We can all, you know, we can put that together when we put all that understanding and both experience and ignorance in, you know, in a positive way, like somebody coming in with ignorance has fresh eyes so what does that all mean? And, and I, 
so I really advocate for people working across generations from the you know top to the bottom to bring together and collaborate on what the appropriate solutions are for their particular company and business because that's the best way these days to come up with solutions that are going to be sustainable that they're going to be long lasting yeah. when you say it like that it makes perfect sense this magic coupling of empathy with experience that kind of an older generation in the workplace with experience has yeah that kind of openness of mind I guess and the ability to really step into someone's shoes and probably to ask that question that you you hinted at at the start there like this is happening therefore what what does that that mean when we can apply that extra layer of 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 thought to it it becomes really powerful yeah and you know it's not to say that Gen Z don't need empathy and to be able to do. I do see in many cases that they can have more of an open mindset simply because, you know, they grew up with incredible amounts of information in their hand that they had access to. And if you have that access to that many more strategies about how you might be doing maths instead of, of having one way, which I was taught one way of doing maths. And if that, you know, didn't work for you, didn't work for you. But now that's not how they're being taught. They're being taught lots of different strategies, understanding that people learn in different ways. So there's more understanding about there is more than just one way to do something. But there needs to be empathy from some younger folks towards people who have more entrenched ways and kind of like having some, you know, patience and tolerance, kind of like, okay, they also have experience could be really beneficial. Like nobody here has all the answers. Like that's, that's the bottom line. Like we, they really don't. You you may be able to help me out on this. Actually, there was, it's probably going back maybe five years. I think I was at a evening function for for a client and they had a a uk based futurist talking i can't can't remember the the gentleman's name i really wish i could one of the things he was talking about was different generations in the workplace and one of his slides that he put up i think it was an article from something like the the times or the telegraph in the uk bemoaning the youngest generation currently in in the workplace and then we didn't know it he clicked his clicker and revealed the date stamp on the on the newspaper article and it was written in the 1950s and basically before he did that everyone just assumed it was a modern article talking about the youngest generation in the workplace but so it could have been the same so most of the stuff that people were saying of the younger generation in the 50s is very similar to what people say about the younger generation now like the sense of entitlement and all that stuff that kind of my view just isn't necessarily true because I think there's more probably that unifies us than than divides us. Yes. There are two big differences that I see now. One is previously the pace was different. So for example, it, the I, I read a, an example about a tractor. So the tractor was bought by the farmer but then it was the son who could, you know, who used it. So the, the farmer, did, there was a sort of generational, yeah, okay. sh- there was a generation to take on that shift. Yeah. Now, no, there's nothing like a generation. It's kind of like right now. And that makes a big difference. And the second thing is I'm very happy, very comfortable with technology, but it is functional. I, I certainly don't have hours to play around with the kind of, oh, this is kind of cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you tell me there's this, I can, like, okay, great. I will use that. How do I use it? Or I'll spend a little bit of time just trying to work it out. But it's very functional. 
if you're growing up, particularly if you're growing up with technology, and so this actually splits the millennials into sort of two, because the, the older millennials did not were not taught with technology a lot of technology in school. The the lower the, the younger group were, and then you know Gen Zs are really sort of the digital natives. It really changes your sense of technology, your relationship with technology. You know, virtual, the, the the line between real and virtual, these are words, these are concepts which are, are older. And how someone's relationship with somebody else develops, whether it's, you know, snapping them or, you know, texting or all these different things, it really, that kind of intuitive sort of integrated digital life does change how somebody brings technology and how and works with and, and utilizes technology in the workplace because it has been such an integrate integral part of their personal life. And that consumer apps have are amazing. You know, it's taken a long time, in fact, for, for business applications to to get even close to being sophisticated. I mean, if you look at video conferencing, right? So that's where I do see a difference between the younger generation of the slackers and the this and the that. These these particular aspects do make this slightly different. Sophie, we could carry on talking forever on this. So let me just bring us back to my rather cryptic point early, early on when I spoke about our previous conversation in, in the planning where we thought we disagreed and then very quickly, I think, realised we were in, in violent agreement, which was around this concept of we need a, a new leadership style, right? So let me hand over to, to you on that and then maybe I'll just kind of share what my kind of view it is when, when we're done. Yes, I mean, it was interesting because your comment... And I'm I'm curious as to your experience of earlier leadership, because I had seen that you had a military background originally, and you made a comment about that people have forgotten the rules of leadership or the the ways of leading, and that they need to be doing that again. I therefore assumed that you were talking about the command and control type of leadership, not just that it was that sort of militaristic, but that was how we have been doing things in the past. You know, I do have this example, which which I shared with you then about meeting a Marine who said, yes, empathetic leadership, absolutely. He was six years in the Marines, and that was the only way that his squadron leader could lead the team and be successful in extreme situations was to really understand and, and, and empathize with each person, each member of the team. So that was what I was assuming that that old, that previous style of leadership. And so when you said, no, 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 I'm absolutely on the same page of you. That was very interesting. So that was how you learned leadership in, in the military? Yeah, I think it very much was. Well, I don't think the word empathy was necessarily used directly or, or that much but yeah kind of what you described and the gentleman who was in the marines that you mentioned what what he described that's very much it like right from day one it was really understanding that our job was was always twofold as a leader it was to to deliver the the mission we were given in corporate speak kind of hit your target or your goals and it was to to look after the people and to serve it was very much servant leadership to serve those people that you've got the privilege and, and responsibility to lead. And yes, within the armed forces, there's leadership, there's management, and there's this thing called command, right? There is a very defined kind of structure and hierarchy and military discipline. 
But I generally don't believe that's the main thing that motivates people in the military to to do extraordinary things. It's because they have a deep relationship with the people either side them. And when they have a good military leader, they know that that leader fundamentally knows them as an individual, cares for their well-being, even though they might ask them to to put their lives lives on the line. And the thing that really was drummed into me and my colleagues again and again during military training was get to know your soldiers, get to know your soldiers, know about what football team they support, where they grew up, about their girlfriends, their boyfriends, their kids. So you've got that deep human connection. So you can like step into their world and understand what's, what's, what's going on for them because their world and lifestyle could be very, very different to mine. And actually being, being conscious of that is, is really powerful. So my interpretation of that is that there was definitely whenever somebody took these, the sort of originally the militaristic way of leading and there was a just ton that was missed out. Like there's a lot yeah, of yeah. lost to- in translation. Totally. You missed the key bit, which goes together with the command and control. It's also the looking after your people thing. Well, I guess I guess that was in the original, the organization, right? You looked after the people, that you gave them a 30-year job. But how that has evolved has missed that piece out. And, and that's what that's what I see coming back in again. I mean, I look at the the social contract, and that's what I do actually mention in, in the book as well. Yeah. Which is that particularly in the US where there's absolutely no job security whatsoever, what what came with the job, the benefits, the pension, the you know, job security has so many of those pieces have have disappeared and there needs to be a different equilibrium. And I think that's part of why this is is particularly messy, is you know, trying to work out what the new sort of combination, the new balance is that's going to inspire and motivate and engage employees and produce the results the businesses need. Yeah, brilliant. Sophie, it's been a fantastic chat. It's gone by in the blink of an eye for me. I re- really enjoyed it. You mentioned the the book there again at the end. We've kindly got uh, one of the advanced reader copies that you sent over. So we will give that away in a little prize dog competition for listeners. So we'll pop a link in the in the show notes for that. We'll also put a link where they can can buy it as well. But thank you so much for your time. It's been a fascinating conversation and I wish you every continued success with the book. Thanks so much, Ben. It's been an absolute delight. There you have it. That was episode 110 of the show. I hope you enjoyed listening and learning from Sophie as much as I enjoyed talking and learning from Sophie. It really was, in my opinion, a cracking episode. And if you did get value from it, then please do take just a couple of minutes to pause wherever you happen to be listening and rate, review and subscribe to the show. I know I say this every week, but it really does make a massive difference. The more subscribers and reviews we get, the better and better guests we can attract to the show for you to listen to and learn from. So please do spend just a couple of minutes now to do that for me. It would be massively appreciated. Other than that, remember to enter the book competition. Do take a look at the courses page on my website. And I look forward to speaking to you again and recording for you again very soon. Take care of yourselves. Look after those that you lead. And until then, folks, lead on.